Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we are taking a pause in between series as our new interim senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. John Guest, leads us in a message entitled, Change is the Name of the Game. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. As you heard from Pastor Jamie, this is a one-off sermon in some respects, though I will be speaking on prayer as part of it. And next week, we get into a four-week series on prayer. And it would seem to me as we're looking at this year and some of the changes, that prayer may be a more common theme for our preaching and teaching and fellowship. Though prayer is absolutely vital to any of our associations with the Lord, because you talk to him. That's what prayer is, is talking to him and having a kind of a heart-to-heart communication with him, which is the heart and soul of the relationship that he desires and which we deep down in our hearts long for. Anyway, Pastor Jared's moving along was a shock. I remember the moment he walked into my office, sat down and told me he was moving to New Jersey with his family. And I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe it for the congregation and the church and for our staff. Because change is always difficult, nearly always difficult. And changes like this, when a pastor moves along, not easy. And inasmuch as the Lord has called Pastor Jared, Deb, Caden, and Langdon to New Jersey, it's been a long time that some of us have known them here. I remember Deb and Jared when they were both single and students at Geneva College. And Jared had hair, for instance. You know, he had a head of hair then. And they fell in love and got married. And they were still around here and got involved with the silver ring thing. That's what this is on this finger. And they traveled nationally with the silver ring thing. Had an immense impact there, but from this base. This was their home base. And then with some of the other changes, Jared became an administrative pastor here, maybe half a dozen years ago or so. And that led to his becoming our lead pastor. And now he's moving on. So I thought I'd address the issue of change. Now for the 10 o'clock congregation where I've just been with older folks... There are plenty of old enough folks in this congregation. Change, the older you get, the more difficult it becomes because you're like a settled pattern of life. When you're young, change is an adventure. I mean, I remember being a kid in Oxford, England and going up from one school to the the next. And it was always exciting to change schools because you were getting more grown up and you were moving up with the bigger kids. When we moved from Oxford to London, I loved it. From a university town, Oxford, to the capital of England, where all the bright lights were and where all the drama was, and where they had a dozen premier-level soccer teams. I mean, Tottenham Hotspur was in my backyard. It was amazing. Leighton Orient was in another part of my backyard. All these soccer teams. I was into soccer. And then I came to the USA, Still a young guy, single, and I love the challenge of it. And see, you know, just little things that you get used to, you know, just like the back of your hand. Like cops with guns. Like cowboys standing around on the corner of a street in Philadelphia with a belt buckle with bullets in it. I thought, whoa, that was really different. I mean, he'd go for his gun any time. And then I went through a supermarket. I was on my own and staying in this, this apartment went to a supermarket it blew my mind we didn't have supermarkets in England 50 years ago we're going back a little way 
the choice of fruits, the choice of breads, and then I discovered pizza. (laughs) In a frozen, I didn't know what pizza was. So I picked up this frozen pizza out of the cabinet that it was in, and I thought, well, that's stuff I like, like a pastry base, tomato sauce, cheese. I bought it and took it back to my apartment. It says to heat in a pan. Coming from England, the only pan I knew was a frying pan. Which side do you warm up first? I thought to myself, because it didn't tell me on the, pa- on the description how you warm it up, I'll put the soft side down first. Very exciting. Because when it came to turn it over, all the cheese just stretched up off the pan. And I said to myself, these dumb Americans. (laughs) When I went and told some friends of mine what I'd done, they rolled over laughing. I did like what I tasted. I turned it over, warmed the other side up and ate it as best I could, but it was a complete mess by the time I was done. But it was an exciting mess. I was in America. I was eating pizza. I found out the truth about pizza, by the way. I met my wife here. That was an exciting adventure. And then we stayed here. I thought I was going to take a, an American wife back to England. So I'd be an English pastor with an American wife. Do you know how attractive that would be? Have a wife who kind of talk like this, like you guys do here. <laughs> My kids are all American. They said, Dad, don't even try to speak like that. All an adventure. And then you get, then the kids grow up move off of, out of the home, set up their own Christmases, their own Thanksgivings, and life changes. Those changes are not welcome, but they're part of the game. That is, like it's the name of the game, it's, it's life. And those changes roll on. So having set the stage, I want you to look, if you go to page two in your service sheet, it will bring up this reading that Pastor Jamie led you through, this first chapter of the letter to the Philippians. It's called the letter to the Philippians because it was written to some people who lived in Philippi. Philippi is still there, though it's a bunch of ruins. And I've been there, and they're significant ruins, and it was a significant town in its day. But implicit as well as explicit in this reading is change. For instance, look at it with me. The opening words, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now just to say that, every time I remember you. You see, Paul is writing a letter. He's sending a letter. He's actually in prison in Rome when he pens this letter. A guy has come over from Philippi to Rome, brought him some help, some sustenance, some money, other things, and was going to go back to Philippi. And when he went back to Philippi, he brought this letter with him. But clearly implicit in this has changed because this is how there came to be a church at Philippi. Paul was an evangelist who traveled around the world. It was a new idea. He got converted himself in Syria, what's now Syria. Traveled to what is now Turkey and preached town to town. While he's in what is now Turkey... He gets a vision of a Macedonian. 
Now that's like in the Greco-Roman world. That's part of the West, as we call it today. And he got this vision, clearly by the dress, the man was from Macedonia, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And he took that as a message from God, immediately got his act together with the little entourage with which he traveled, and caught a boat north up to the Aegean north and into the, this region of Macedonia where there was Philippi. And he ends up meeting with some Jews in the first place. And they listen about Jesus, start a little worship service. Then he starts speaking in the town. And then the Romans and the Macedonians start believing. Then there's a riot because of what he's teaching. He gets flogged and thrown into prison. There's an earthquake. And in the earthquake, the jailer ends up coming to Christ and his family because of Paul and Silas singing in the prison. And so a little church gets founded there. But Paul moves on. That's a massive change. They became believers because of Paul. He was their hero. I've got a picture on my desk of the first pastor I got to know as a teenager going to church, chasing a girl. And I sometimes am moved to tears when I look at my friend because he became my pastor. He was the one who invited me to go and hear Billy Graham and I got converted. He's the man who took me off to college to become a minister when I went to train for ordination. He took me. He bought me my first religious garb. He gave me a dictionary that I still have in my bookcase. I love that man. The Philippians had that attitude towards Paul and he toward them. That'll become evident in this reading. So he writes to them. And here's the first clue. When you hit change is to go to God and talk to him about it. What did Paul do when he spoke here? He's describing what he did. I thank my God every time I remember you. He turned his remembrances of them and the sadness of not being with them and the struggles that he heard they were going through. He turned that into a personal prayer time between him and the Lord Jesus. And look at what he goes on to say, therefore. Very next verse. In all my prayers... For all of you, I always pray with joy. And he talks more about that praying. But here's the deal. When you hit change, you pray. For instance, let me encourage you to pray for Pastor Jared. He's moving with his kids. He's got two sort of preteens on his hands, along with his wife Deb on her hands. And it's a whole new world for them. They talk differently in New Jersey than New Yunzas in Pittsburgh, you know that. They drink coffee in New Jersey. They drink water in New Jersey. Did you hear that little inflection there? Did that come through? Yeah, they, like, they sound like they're from Brooklyn. It's a whole new world for them. I have no doubt that those kids are to grow up talking like that. That'll be fun. Pray for them. Pray for our pastoral team here. Jared and Deb very close part of our pastoral team. One couple came up to me just last week and said, they'll miss Jared. He counseled them in their marriage 
and it's made a world of difference. And I said, well, go tell him. But you pray for him. But they will miss. They said, we will miss him. Maybe the same is true for you. Because you get that feeling when the pastor leaves. And he's been our senior pastor and our team leader for these last several years. And you've got the other change. Well, wouldn't you know it? They call on me to come back and be one more time the interim pastor. My wife calls me the comeback kid. (laughs) So you've got that to deal with. You pray for me. Pray for our team. When you hit change, the first thing you've got to do, if you take Paul's example, is go to the Lord and talk to him about it. And there's praise, and there's different kinds of prayers that he prays for them. Look at what he prays for them. Look at verse 9, he says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with fruit of righteousness. I don't know if Brad and the team, singing about the fruit of the Spirit, which they just did, picked up on this verse, but that's what's being described here. And Paul praying that that fruit of the Spirit might be evident in their lives. Love, joy, peace, and so on. He prayed for them. Pray for us. Pray for one another. First thing you do is prayer. But then he goes on to say this. Look at it. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. If you've got a pen or pencil in your hand, circle two words in that. Number one, partnership. And secondly, the first day. The first day. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Let me ask you, what do you think the first day was? I described what happened. Paul goes to Philippi. He's preaching there. And the people become believers and they create this new young church. What do you think the first day was? When they first became believers. When they heard the gospel, that Jesus was alive, had died on the cross for their sins, and were willing to choose to yield their lives to Christ, ask the living Jesus to come into their lives and begin again a new life that was countercultural to the Greco-Roman pagan god, sexual debauchery of what their temple worship was, and all their feasts and their drinking and their sacrifice, a whole different world, to come to Jesus, surrender to him, ask him into their lives, and begin to live a different life from the first day. And he, Paul, would be thinking of that. He would have gotten to know these people individually and personally. They were known to him, and they were dear to him, as well as he being dear to them. From the first day... Until now, their partnership in the gospel, listen to this, they didn't just get converted, they got committed. Remember Pastor Ed preaching on those two words a few weeks ago. Converted and then committed. Partnership involves relationship and in that relationship, a mission fulfilled, the sharing of the gospel. It's fellowship 
in the gospel, or to enlarge on that thought, the work of the gospel, sharing the good news together, which is part of what got Paul into trouble, as right there and then, you've got a growing group of believers who are counterculturally living and worshipping. And Paul is thanking God. He's turned this into prayer for them and thanksgiving because from the first day they became believers, they also became partners in the gospel with him and the team there. Both converted to Christ and then committed to him and to one another. Now let me tell you something. Both of those, you looking at me, both of those are radical. The radical commitment to Christ and then a radical commitment to one another in the work that God's given us to do. Some of you get committed to Christ and you don't want to get committed to each other and especially you guys. You don't want to turn up to bowl night, man night. You don't want to get involved with other guys. You want to live your own life with your own family, do your own thing. Probably because you think maybe those guys get to know me, they won't really want to want me to even be a part of anything. Because being a guy, I know how guys are. But both commitments are radical. In the first place, to ask Jesus into your life. Just last weekend, I was preaching out in California, in the desert area near Palm Springs, at a resort, not bad, where they had a chapel service, fantastic, maybe three, four hundred people from this resort, in this chapel service with a chaplain, a friend of mine, Jim Gwynn, who'd asked me to come and preach. And in a conversation we'd had earlier in the week, I mentioned the turning point for me was just hearing a friend say to me that Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And I thought to myself as a young teenager in those days, that's exactly what I'm looking for, that kind of life. So he asked me to speak to his community about that thought. So I start off with that idea. I said, but the reason I didn't want to get involved with Jesus, because I didn't want to become like the Jesus people who look miserable to me. I used the word dour, kind of miserable. Most of the churchgoers I knew, I didn't want to become like them. Isn't that an indictment of some sort? Can you identify with what I've just said? Didn't want to be like them. But I did want Jesus. I did want to be forgiven. But the battle there was I didn't want to hand my ego, the core of my life, my identity, over to him. To do so was radical. By age 18, I was ready to make that move. And I asked Jesus to come into my life. But the battle was essentially not a theological battle. It was an ego battle because I knew that if I handed my life over to him, he would take the driver's seat and who knows where he would drive things. My life. But that night when I understood that I needed to surrender, I did so in London and that was the beginning of the rest of my life. And it was radical. It changed me from the inside out. But nearly as radical was getting involved with other believers. Now I'm going to church with all these other people who look pretty dour and straight. I was looking at TV last night and there was some guy on TV who had this bright blue jacket. And I said to my wife, as the, just the two of us were watching TV, I said, do you see that jacket on that guy? I was wearing a jacket just like that when I went to church, first of all. 
that color. It looked just like that jacket. And I clearly wasn't one of the church people. They looked for volunteers for Sunday school teaching. And I knew no better. I volunteered. And they gave me a class of 10-year-old boys. And I thought I was more than a match for them. Well, it was a struggle. But that was the beginning, which meant I had to commit to every Thursday night being with the other Sunday school teachers and taught the lesson that I was going to teach on Sunday. That's how it worked then. So every Thursday, I'm meeting with some other young adults like myself and some older ones, and we're being taught a lesson that we're going to go teach on Sunday. What that does for me as a new believer is I'm learning, but I'm also getting into relationships. And there were one or two very pretty girls in that church that had my eye immediately. So I started turning up and checking them out. Well, they got involved in a Sunday afternoon group that went around the hospital and had a little service in the the hospital where my pastor was the chaplain. I went and helped, but it was about the girls. But it got me connected. And then they asked me to read the scripture And I read the scripture, my lips quivered when I read publicly. I wasn't into public speaking. You can hardly imagine it now, but I mean, I was nervous. Then they asked me one Sunday to lead in prayer. It's a little half-hour service. Then one Sunday they asked me to preach. That's about a year in. The only two preachers I'd ever heard was Billy Graham on the one hand and my pastor on the other. So that was preaching. So I The night before, Saturday night, I'm in front of the mirror that's over the fireplace in our family parlor, preaching to myself at one o'clock in the morning, looking at myself in the mirror, seeing what I look like when I'm preaching. You see what I'm doing here? I'm looking in the mirror and I'm preaching. And then I do, because I've watched preachers and that's preaching. So for 10 minutes in a hospital service, in a big open ward, sort of what you've seen in the old-fashioned movies where you've got about 20 people sitting around in beds with curtains that divide them up. They pull back the curtains. We had a church service. And there's this kid, maybe 19 years of age, preaching. And I preached. For 10 minutes, I told them everything I knew. (laughs) Preaching, like I'm preaching. As we're walking out, one of these pretty girls said to me, as we're walking out, got to the elevator, leave the the hospital, John, you were just like Billy Graham. (laughs) Why do you think that was? He was one of the preachers I heard. And I wasn't speaking Billy Graham American. But Billy Graham English. What I'm telling you is, guys and girls, get connected. All those little opportunities afforded connections, which one day, walking from the hospital back to the church for an evening worship service, I say to my pastor, how do you become a pastor? Before you know it, I'm going for an interview and on my way to seminary. Before you know it, I'm here preaching in Sir Wickley to you guys. God's got a plan for your life. And let me just finish with this thought because we are kind of done here and we do want to say fare ye well to Jared. He's going to come and receive a presentation here in just a moment. But when you're dealing with change, you first go to God in prayer. Secondly, 
there's change that's good and radical and you need to make those changes. Whether it's to really hand your life over to Christ. One or two of you may want to do that here this morning. And the other is to really get committed to the rest of the gang here. Get involved. I mean, I remember the first time I went to Man, Man Night, is that what it's being called? Over at the Paradise Lanes. They do have palm trees over there, by the way. Amazing. I don't think they're real. I met a guy there. I didn't, pl- I didn't bowl. I was walking up and down eating pizza and meeting the guys at their lanes. I met a guy there who's my friend to this day. Has made a difference in my life and I think maybe I and his. That's man night. But those kind of associations have byproducts that are long-lasting. Get connected, guys. Come on out. Get involved. In any case, let me mention this and we'll be done this morning. The idea that you can make that kind of radical change for your life is at the heart and soul of why we're even here this morning. And the fact that you would turn up like on a morning like this one is amazing. Let me tell you about a similar morning and we're done. This similar morning was in Scotland. It was in the 1800s. They'd had a heavy snowfall Saturday night. Only three people turned up for church Sunday morning in this little all-stone chapel-style church. Two grown men and a boy, a lad. And the preacher stood up and said, Well, thank you for making it here. He was Scottish. For making it here to Kirk. He said, since the weather's so bad, I'll not be preaching a sermon. We'll have a little prayer and you can go home. To which one of the congregation said, Pastor, we've made it to Kirk. You're going to preach. Even for three of us, you're going to preach. So he did. And that morning, the lad made a commitment to Christ and to become a missionary. The lad did. And I don't know if this name means anything to you, but let me tell you who it was. His name was David Livingston. He is the first missionary who opened up Africa. He's a legend from the old missionary days. When he died, they sent his body back to England. And he's buried in Westminster Abbey. And some of us are going to be taking a trip there next June and we'll stand in front of the plaque where they memorialize David Livingston, who opened up the dark continent to the gospel, took Jesus, went village to village, tribe to tribe. The stories are legendary. They sent his body back to England to bury it when he died, except before they sent his body back, they cut his heart out and they buried it in Africa because he'd given his life to Africa and the Africans loved him and they sent his body back for burial but they took his heart out and buried it in Africa. The guy is a legend. Look him up. David Livingstone is how it's spelled. All over Africa, you run into people whose first name is Livingstone, named after the first missionary who brought the gospel to Africa. Do you know where that began? On a snowy Sunday morning in Scotland with next to no one in church. And I have a sense this morning, God's speaking to you, to you, to you. It's nice when we're a smaller congregation because you know who I'm speaking to. 
Yun's not left lost in a crowd. I'm speaking to you. It's your turn to get serious. Let's pray together. How great coming off of a sermon that's dealing with change because Pastor Jared has been called by the Lord to another place, another ministry, that the Lord might call you. He's speaking to you right now in some sense to your emotions, to your mind, to something going on in your life, to be serious about him and about being committed to each other and thereby to his mission for us. So as you see Jesus coming to where you are sitting, look him in the face, will you? See him looking at you, loving you. He knows who you are. You're not lost to him. He knows exactly who you are and what you're dealing with. So from your heart to his, you make my prayer yours. So in the first person, in your own heart, say, Lord Jesus, I need you. For a dozen different reasons, I need you. Come into my life. Take over. I need you to come and sit on the throne of my life, to surrender my ego to you, to hand myself over to you. Here I am, Lord. Take me. I'm yours. And Lord, even as I say that to you, give me the guts and courage to get connected to others in the church family here, to get into a small group, some home group, some fellowship of men or women or a Bible study or a ministry, to get connected. Lord, you've got plans for my life. I'm willing to risk handing it over to you. I'm I'm willing to risk you redirecting what I'm doing with myself and whatever changes that means to me, to my career, to my family, to my friends, to where I fit in the pattern of things in society. Just like those early believers, Lord, I want to be true to you, true to the fellowship, true to what you want me to be, true to your calling on my life. So hear my prayer, Lord. And help me deal with whatever change you are manufacturing for me. Because you love me and know what you want for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.